Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. We talk a lot about how the internet can be used as a tool to draw attention to stories that would otherwise fall under the radar. Afterlives, a new podcast from iHeart's Outspoken Network, spotlights one of those stories. Afterlives examines the life and legacy of Leilene Polanco, a transgender Afro-Latina who tragically died at New York City's Rikers Island Jail. Leilene's death was totally preventable, and this new podcast sets out to investigate the systems of power that led to her untimely passing, as well as how her story sparked national movements for change. As we're seeing more and more legislation policing how trans people exist, including how they show up online, this story is more important than ever. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Here's Afterlives, the Leilene Polanco story, episode one. Afterlives is a production of iHeart Podcasts and the Outspoken Podcast Network in partnership with School of Humans. Just a heads up, the following episode discusses transphobia, racism, mental health, suicide, and violence. Take care while listening. Sing it. Wait, let me sing it first. You'll never see me again, so no one's gonna cry for you. Now sing it. Okay, I'm gonna never see me again. That last voice, that's Leilene Polanco. She's singing Cry For You by the Swedish musician September. Let her finish. Let her finish. Leilene's niece, Aaliyah, is the one goading her on. Trying to get her to belt it out for the camera. Do it, come on. I want to finish. You'll never see me again. 
I first learned who Laylene was back in June of 2019. A friend and fellow activist texted me a four-sentence New York Post article about a trans woman who had died hours earlier in a cell on Rikers Island, New York City's notorious jail complex. We had few details at the time. Even Laylene's name wasn't public yet. But the little information we did have was enough for us to know we'd lost a member of our cherished community. And we needed answers. I'm a journalist and an activist. I know some people find those descriptors at odds, but for me, storytelling and social justice go hand in hand. Throughout my career, I found it important to prioritize stories of trans people, specifically trans women of color like myself. Our lives, our joy, our struggles, and our truth. A difficult part of that truth is that many of us are dying. There is growing concern in this country and fear about deadly attacks against transgender Americans, particularly trans women of color. As more information surfaced about Laylene's death, something shifted in me. Here was an Afro-Latina whose story felt like it touched so many systems of power that affect trans women. I connected with her. I mourned her. And I wasn't alone. Hundreds gathered in New York City Monday to demand justice for Laylene Palenko. Justice for Laylene! Rest in power! The recent death of a 27-year-old woman on Rikers Island is raising questions about the way officials there hold people in solitary confinement. We have a full investigation going on. Laylene Polanco could have been released from Rikers if she was able to post her bail of just $500. Trans lives matter! Black trans lives matter! Black trans Every time they come, for one of us, we come stronger. It's been four years since Laylene's death on Rikers Island. Four years since she was left unattended in solitary confinement. Four years since her family and friends first shed tears over her loss and turned those tears into rage. That rage into action. We'll discuss her death and what led up to it in detail on this podcast. But before we talk about how we lost Laylene and the many ways the criminal justice system failed her, before we dig into the remarkable ways her legacy endures today, I want you to know about her life. I'm your host, Raquel Willis, and this is Afterlives. Episode 1, Laylene. Laylene was born on October 4th, 1991 in the Dominican Republic. 
Her family moved to New York when she was two years old, first to the Bronx and then just outside of the city to Yonkers. And if there's one thing you need to know about Laylene, it's that she was the life of the party. Laylene loved to dance, she loved to sing. She was just happy to be alive. That's Laylene's older sister, Melania Brown. They were born about three years apart. The two of them were always close. Laylene brought out a spark in Melania. She was full of energy and always up for an adventure. Melania says she could always count on her, whether she needed a confidant or just a good laugh. In the DR, Melania remembers how freeing it felt for them to take baths in the rain. When they moved to the States, they'd go on family outings, taking boats around the New York Harbor. They loved watching Pixar movies with their brother Solomon. Toy Story was Laylene's favorite. She also loved animals and dreamt of growing up to be a vet. Most of all, Melania and Laylene liked to joke around. We found this doll somewhere, and my mom was, like, freaked out about the doll because it looked like a real baby. She says their mom, Aracelis, said, get rid of that doll. But they didn't. Instead... We used to put the doll in the middle of the street and then we would hide behind the cars and people would like just stop and freak out and like, you know, we would just be cracking up watching them and then they just throw the doll to the side and then we'll do it again. And then their mom always encouraged them to play outside, even if that doll prank wasn't exactly what she had in mind. For the most part, their family got on pretty well. They had their routines, their traditions. Aracelis would play ballads in Spanish throughout the house, and she dragged them to church every Sunday. Lilene and I used to be like, oh my God, not again. We just went. My mom would be like, that was a week ago. Like, <laughs> like we was just there. This was Lilene's world as a child. Church choir, climbing rocks outside the house, a close nuclear family led by a strong woman. As she and her siblings got older, Laylene's sense of identity developed, too. I started realizing that I really had a sister. She started loving flowers, and I liked to get dirty, and she was more like, ill. no. Solomon and I always knew. We just never were the type to, like, flat-out ask. When she feels comfortable, she'll come and she'll talk to us. I remember one day we were just playing Mortal Kombat, which was, like, one of our favorite games, and... Laylene paused the game, and Solomon's like, because you're about to lose. I remember that fight. And Laylene's like, no, I paused the game because I got to say something. And then mm-hmm. that's when Laylene um, came out as being gay. Solomon and I was like, really? Like, this is why you paused the game? Because, I mean, we already knew that. Like, <laughs> I'm paused the game. That was when Laylene was 12. But about a year later, Laylene started to express herself and her identity in other ways. Laylene was just like, well, can I use your stuff? It was Halloween, which had always been one of Laylene and Melania's favorite holidays. And she's like, your stuff, let me go get it. And she comes back with my clothes, my bra, my pants, my shirt, my shoes everything. And she's like, can you help me like put it on? I was like, okay, fine. Like, you know, I helped her get dressed. We stuffed so much tissue. (laughs) And I remember I'm telling her, I'm like, I feel like I'm stuffing you like a turkey. And we was just cracking up. And I flat ironed her hair and she went outside 
she came back inside, like, okay. I'm like, so how do you feel? And she was just like, this is who I'm supposed to be. Laylene has two birthdays in her sister's eyes. The day she was born into the world, and that Halloween night when she expressed to Melania for the first time in her own way that she was a trans woman. Melania still goes all out for Halloween to celebrate her sister. Spiders, zombies, a six-foot witch outside of the house. Even Laylene's mom gets in on it. And she's always hated Halloween. As Laylene got older, she grew into herself more and more. And something that made her feel most alive was music. Growing up, Laylene was into house music. Laylene started dragging me into her world and what she liked. And then I started liking the house music. The house music will only be played really like between her and I. If I'm going through something or she's going through something, we'll put like the craziest, loudest house music and we'll just dance it off. As a teenager, Laylene's love for house music often led her to clubs and parties in New York with other queer and trans people of color. She wanted to get her life and meet more people like her. And she didn't care if that meant staying out all night and dealing with her mom getting angry at her the next day. At a club in the Bronx, she met a trans woman named Leslie who offered to help her get access to hormone replacement therapy. She became a mother figure to her and a new world opened up. Laylene became more embedded within the trans community and New York City's iconic ballroom scene. Yes, she had some family who affirmed her transness, but through ballroom, she found a second family, a chosen family, who understood her experience as their own and encouraged her to step into herself in ways she never had before. Laylene discovers home in the House of Extravaganza after the break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, 
Check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. We're back with Afterlives. After growing up in Yonkers and coming out to her family as a trans woman, Laylene Polanco would find community in New York City's ballroom scene. Ballroom is a community rooted in queerness, gender expression, performance, and solidarity. And the community as we know it today has roots that trace back to Harlem in the 1960s. Black and Latinx LGBTQ plus folks gathered for extravagant so-called balls, complete with runway categories, competing houses, and Vogue battles. These events were organized as an alternative to existing drag balls that traditionally excluded and discriminated against Black and Brown people. Laylene finding community through ballroom is no surprise. It's a world where people living on the margins can center themselves and their lived experience. The category is Butch Queen First Time in Drags at a Ball. Coming pretty girl, 1986. Take it. These folks you hear are walking categories as part of balls recorded in the 1990 documentary Paris is Burning. In case you didn't know, this film opened the door for mainstream audiences to understand ballroom culture. Going to school. Laylene walked categories like realness, face, and body. And she would win. My fashion Parisian. Melania said she always played it cool and confident, though. She never acted surprised when she took home the trophy. To put it plainly, Laylene was that girl. Laylene was a part of the House of Extravaganza, the premier Latinx house in the scene. 
You're listening to a clip from the 2006 documentary, How Do I Look? Extravaganza has become one of New York's most famous houses and one of the longest running. The House of Extravaganza was founded in 1982. This is Sydney Ballou. My pronouns are he, him, his, and girl. (laughs) I always like to add that extra one. I'm a writer, TV writer, producer, a journalist. I've been in the House of Extravaganza for, oh my goodness, now four years. And I've been in the ballroom scene for 11. Sydney is also the author of the forthcoming book, Undeniable a history of voguing, ballroom, and how it changed my life and the world. In those early days, it was actually very hard for the House of Extravaganza. There was a kind of protective sense, you know, that people had over the scene. They felt very threatened. Yes, it was a heavily Latin house, but it was also very much like kids living on the pier, you know, people who were homeless. People were doing survival sex work. Some people didn't have as much money as the other houses. They had to really, really keep coming and keep turning it in order for people to finally accept them. And then once they did, it was, you know, the rest was history. I mean, the house just really started to take off. By the time Leilene joined the house as a teenager, it was fully on the map. It had been featured in Paris is Burning, and its members choreographed and danced in Madonna's 1990 hit single, Vogue. Vogue was a seminal moment when ballroom broke into the mainstream, but it wouldn't be the last. This song and the members of Extravaganza helped set the stage for ballroom to make huge waves in pop culture, from music to language to TV. But ballroom isn't all about the balls. In the aughts, when Leilene joined the House of Extravaganza, it was a centerpiece in the queer and trans community in New York. She became a beacon for many trans women and girls around her. Now that's a legacy, honey. In my mind, I am in the same house as Giselle Alicia Extravaganza, the mother of Extravaganza. Like, I'm in the same house as Leilene Extravaganza. That's India Moore. Like, sharing this proximity to them made me feel great made me feel valuable. She's an actor and model well-known for her role as Angel Evangelista in Pose, the FX series about ballroom culture in the 80s and 90s. In compliance with the sag after a strike at the time of our interview, India and I didn't discuss Pose, but we spoke about her personal experiences in New York's ballroom scene, experiences that mirror her character's journey in many ways. I was surviving a young trans person just trying to stay safe, have a home and and money in my pocket. I didn't feel welcomed in many environments that should have been home for me or like that should have been school for me. So like I ended up sort of surviving on the streets. I took a lot of risks to survive, you know, to have money in my pocket, to be able to support myself. 
India's character on Pose joined the fictional House of Evangelista because she desperately needed a chosen family, housing, and support while she was doing sex work. And in real life, India joined the House of Extravaganza as a way to connect with New York's queer community and to be around people like Laylene. When I think about Laylene, I think about her as somebody that brought people joy. I see Laylene also as somebody who was really proud of being trans and loved other trans people as well. They never developed their own personal relationship, but India always admired her. When you're a kid, there's always like some people that you sort of look to in your understanding of what's beautiful. You sort of like aspire to like be like them. Laylene was one of those girls. She was Dominican and I'm Dominican and she just reminded me of like my culture and she didn't have just charm. She had sex appeal. Laylene was one of the women that was sort of a reflection for what it looked like for me to like grow into a confident and beautiful and secure woman. Laylene, India, and Sydney were all members of the House of Extravaganza at different points in its history. Whether or not they knew each other personally, they share a bond because they've shared a family. The House of Extravaganza is one of the few houses in Ballroom that's still a family. We literally have a cookout every summer. Grandma Coco, who's one of our OG members, she cooks all the food and there's fried chicken and beans and rice and mac and cheese and potato salad and all of that. It's truly like a co-generational space. There's so many people who I know I can call upon or who have my back or who can just teach me about life. I know Laylene was part of that mix and there was a sense of her really being part of the family in that way. The House of Extravaganza and other ballroom communities have always been vital spaces. A way for Black and Brown LGBTQ plus folks to survive and thrive. Still, so many trans women of color like Laylene lack the support systems they deserve to live long and fulfilling lives. And they, like all trans people, experience disproportionately high rates of unemployment, incarceration, and violence. Ballroom has always been a form of resistance to these realities. Just because people say slay or no shade doesn't make the world safer for us. I do find that a large part of the culture of ballroom has become so mainstream to the point where the people who now participate in using our language also have become some of the people who reject and defame trans and queer culture and people. But this doesn't take away from the fact that these spaces and this community are meaningful. Laylene was an extravaganza for pivotal years of her life. It meant a lot to her. And she followed a long-standing tradition of adopting the house's name as her own. Laylene Extravaganza Kubelet Polanco. Queer culture is more consumable than ever. But we, queer people, and specifically trans women of color, remain at risk. Laylene was at risk. 
As she entered adulthood, she was turned away from job opportunities. She struggled with her mental and physical health. She turned to sex work as a way to support herself. And it would be a sex work arrest that would ultimately lead her to the place she would lose her life, Rikers Island. That's coming after the break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Welcome back to Afterlives. In Laylene's mid-twenties, her vibrant life took a turn. She struggled to find and keep consistent work, spent less and less time with her family, and decided to engage in sex work to make ends meet. One day in August of 2017, Laylene was arrested by undercover NYPD officers who were targeting sex workers. The city claimed around this time that arrests like these would end, a small victory in the long battle to decriminalize consensual sex work. But the arrest happened anyway. Eventually, Laylene ended up in front of a judge, and a bail of $500 was set on her sex work case. 
That's despite the fact that in the months before Laylene's day in court, district attorneys had made promises about eradicating bail for low-level crimes. The city even had an alternative system in place to handle sex work cases so that sex workers could avoid jail time. We'll get into why and how later in this series. But the decision to set bail on Laylene's case would crucially impact her life. Unfortunately, she couldn't afford to pay and was sent to Rikers Island. Rikers is an isolated island in a city of 8 million. The jail complex rests on over 400 acres of land in New York City's East River. The average jail population is 6,000 people on any given day. Its buildings are old and dilapidated. Extreme temperatures are a norm, as is moldy food and feces smeared on the floors. Pieces of stray piping and broken light fixtures that line the hallways are often used to create weapons. Policymakers have called the conditions at Rikers Island a humanitarian crisis. Once Laylene was there, her troubles only got worse. Her mental health deteriorated, she got into several fights, and was moved into solitary confinement. Jail officials were made aware of a key detail about Laylene's health, that she suffered from a seizure disorder. And this alone should have kept her out of solitary. Still, that's exactly where she ended up. Laylene was in Riker's custody for 52 days before her death. Nine of those days were spent in solitary confinement. And I remember the girls and I spoke about it. Her sister, Melania, didn't even know she was at Riker's. Never mind being in solitary. And they're like, we miss her and we just don't feel right. And I'm like, I don't feel right either. I thought I was the only one. You guys feel the same thing? And my daughter is like, yeah, something is not right. On June 7th, 2019, while locked away in a solitary confinement cell, Laylene had a fatal seizure. Officers were supposed to check on people in this unit every 15 minutes, according to jail protocol. But large periods of time would pass without anyone checking on her. When there were signs something was wrong, no one took action. Staff gathered outside her door, staring into it, but no one went inside. At one point, they left her unattended for 41 minutes. 41 minutes completely alone, despite being at high risk. 41 minutes with no checks for signs of life. At approximately 3.45, after medics were finally called to enter her cell, she was declared dead. Why did no one help her? Why was she even in Rikers, really? Why did system after system fail to fulfill promises of progress? I've been thinking about Laylene's case ever since I got that text from a friend with the New York Post article. It was just hours after she died. Within a few days, I was speaking at a rally in Laylene's honor. With the mic in my hand, my sadness and fatigue 
turned into anger. Laylene deserved to be alive. She deserved more. Black and brown trans people have been in the war since we were born. Over 600 of us grieved together at that rally in the middle of Pride Month 2019. It was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, the seminal queer militant uprising that sparked the modern fight for LGBTQ plus liberation. Millions of visitors were flocking to New York City for World Pride. Our community was more visible than ever, and yet, Here was another one of our sisters taken from us. Holding all of this has always been hard. These competing truths can feel like alternate realities. I wanted to address that feeling more directly. So I created the Trans Obituaries Project. Back in 2019, I was the executive editor of Out Magazine and wanted Laylene's story and the stories of other trans women lost that year elevated in the annual Out 100 issue. It's the magazine's best-known feature, honoring the year's most influential LGBTQ plus people. I remember then we did this photo shoot for the cover. Here's Melania, Laylene's sister, again. It was very, it was beautiful. It was actually Laylene's birthday. Yes. Laylene's friends and family gathered at her mom's house in Yonkers, where Laylene grew up. We had a, her urn with her ashes in it. We bought her a cake, and we celebrated her. At one point during the cover shoot, Laylene and Melania's mother, Aracelis, opened up a suitcase filled with Laylene's belongings. Everyone combed through trinkets, toiletries, and old T-shirts. Everything you could name was in that, like, luggage. And we were shocked. I remember we was all, like, digging. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I want this, I want this. And I ended up taking, like, her New York shirt. I have it, like, in a bag upstairs because I want to keep, like, her scent and everything. I will like, open it a little bit just to smell it and I close it back up so I don't lose mm-hmm. the scent. I'll never forget that day. Seeing the love that Laylene left behind and feeling her spirit surrounding us. After the magazine came out, I watched Melania grow as an outspoken activist on behalf of her sister. She shared Laylene's story with larger and larger audiences, even at one rally packed with 15,000 people. I listened as politicians talked about her sister's memory and witnessed laws passed in Laylene's name. Over the last four years, Laylene's story has unfolded in ways I could have never imagined. But as much as death has the power to build movements, it also shatters. In the immediate aftermath of Laylene's passing, family, friends, and community organizers formed a united front. But over the years, the loss of Laylene has sunk in more fully. After she died, I picked up the mic three days later and I just didn't stop. Melania and others have had to reshape their lives without her. I never had time to grieve my sister. Time has passed but not without forming scars. I think that's when reality really kicked in, that Laylene 
wasn't going to come back home. Laylene's family has moved out of New York since that photo shoot. This time around, I visited Melania in Connecticut. We needed to get away. We needed to get far. I met many of Laylene's family members and friends back in 2019. But since then, people have removed themselves further from the public eye, farther from New York. There have been rifts in their relationships. Folks have experienced other losses, too. While we reached out to several members of Laylene's origin and chosen families for this podcast, we weren't able to speak with everyone. Laylene's story is harder for many to revisit today, but I always knew it was worth returning to. Much of my career has been fueled by the losses of people in my life and those I didn't know whose stories drew me in. Whether it was trans teens lost to suicide, victims of police brutality, and, of course, other trans sisters of color. Laylene's life and story will forever be a part of me. Her death has stayed with me in part because so many issues compounded to lead her to that cell. Because her death happened in state custody, I had hope for accountability. There were and are leaders and systems that we could blame, that we could even try to change. Some things have changed for the better in the last four years. But we've also witnessed the U.S. become a much more hostile place for trans people. What happened to Laylene tells us a lot about our world, about trans rights and the injustices of our legal system, about how we treat people who are most marginalized and most in need of support. She died because of systems that still exist today. And while progress has been made in her name, there's a lot more work to do. That's what this series is about. There are no real spoilers in this story. If you Google Laylene's name, you'll find these details. What we're doing in this podcast is breaking it down, system by system, and looking closer at the reason she died. We want to restore her humanity as we tell this story. And look at the ways this loss and legacy has affected our world, even if you've never heard her name. That's all coming this season on Afterlives. Stepping foot on Rikers Island has been widely acknowledged a a potential death sentence. Was her transness actually a cause of her death? We found out that the answer was yes, it absolutely was. I had every opportunity to be dead, and I'm still here. They have an interest in stopping youth from becoming trans adults. They have an interest, in essence, in eradicating transness. We just want to live our lives. We don't want to be sitting here over-explaining ourselves to you over and over again. Just let me be. I want to work. I want to have a home. I want to drive a car. I want to be happy, too. Thank you so much for listening to Afterlives. You can find this episode and future ones on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
please leave us a rating and review to let us know what you think. Afterlives is a production of iHeart Podcasts and the Outspoken Podcast Network in partnership with School of Humans. I'm your host and creator, Raquel Willis. Dylan Hoyer is our senior producer and script writer. Our associate producer is Joey Pat. Sound design and engineering by Daisy Makes Radio Productions. Story editing by Aaron Edwards and Julia Furlan. Fact-checking by Savannah Hugley. Our show art is by Makai Baldwin. Score composed by Wazi Murray. Our production manager is Daisy Church. Executive producers include me, Raquel Willis, and Jay Brunson from the Outspoken Podcast Network. Michael Alder June and Noel Brown from iHeart Podcasts. Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Elsie Crowley from School of Humans and The Cats Company. School of Humans. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.